Welcome to Books on the Ridge, a production of Mount Zion Ridge Press, home of Books Off the Beaten Path. This is a podcast for our readers to get to know the authors of our books and look between the pages and behind the scenes. Plus, at the start of each month, we will offer readers a limited time code for a discount on the featured book. Your hosts are the co-owners and managing editors of Mount Zion Ridge Press. Hi, this is Michelle Levine one of the guilty parties here at Mount Zion Ridge Press. Welcome to this edition of Books on the Ridge. We have a nice little treat for our listeners. Tamara is here, but she's going to be on the other side of the microphone because we'll be interviewing her about her her new book. So we're going to introduce you to the newest member of our team here at Mount Zion Ridge Press. Penny McGinnis is our marketing director. Say hi, Penny. Hello. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to Penny to start us off. Well, I'm happy to introduce Tamara. She's an award winner, of course, the Mount Zion Ridge publisher. She's always loved adventures, which shows in her books. She loves to write historical fiction set in the United States because there are so many stories in American history. Forks in the Road, Lost in the Storm, and Red Sky Over America are among her published works. She also designs book covers, and in her spare time, she loves to watch classic movies, drink quality teas, which we'll talk about later, and ride on roller coasters, but not while drinking her tea. Tamara has been married for a very long time to the love of her life, Rick, and has two married adult children and six adorable and, of course, smart grandchildren. Welcome, Tamara. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned how adorable and smart my grandchildren are because they are. And I have two new additions that are among those six. We just had identical twin granddaughters born. So then that's exciting. (laughs) That's exciting. Yes. Name of Tamara's brand new book that came out December 1st is The Seasoning of Elizabella. A Jamestown Bride Story. And I was privileged to read an early copy. And here's one of the things I said. With a thorough understanding of the history which surrounded Jamestown, Kraft has written a story historical fiction readers will enjoy. And I enjoy historical fiction. And this particular one really grabbed my attention. And I love that she doesn't sugarcoat what happened. (laughs) No, I'm not much for sugarcoating history. Uh, That's one difference between my historical novels and other people's. I always start with the premise of what would it be like for the people going through this catastrophic event in history? And so I'm not nice to my characters at all. Yet they're enjoyable to read about. Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask you to tell us in two or three sentences about some of your previous books. But before you do, I got a burning question. All right. When you say Jamestown, you think John Smith. He's not in the story at all. What was John Smith doing during this time? Has he died already? Or is he in disgrace in England? Or is he in prison? Or what's he doing that he's not even mentioned? Well, he had already moved back to England 
and was very popular and successful telling these yarns about his adventures in Jamestown and how Pocahontas saved his life. And that's where we get all these stories that may be myths or may be true because nobody can really tell which ones were just storytelling that John Smith did and which ones were really true. Okay. Now I remember uh, when I was editing a few years ago, somebody made a statement about John Smith marrying Pocahontas. And I knew that wasn't true. So when I edited this person, I had to give them references. So I found a site where they were quoting descendants of Pocahontas saying, no, she never married John Smith. And they claimed that his story about Pocahontas saving him is a total fabrication, that it never appeared in his journals at the time. And he just made it up. That's what most people think, but it could be he just didn't write it down in his journals. We don't know. Only John Smith (laughs) knew and he's dead long time. Yeah, Pocahontas really after she became a Christian, married a man named John Rolfe. And uh, his name does appear in the novel, but he's not really a character in the novel. She married him. They sailed back to England. Uh, She had a child by him. And then, unfortunately, she died of... uh, I don't remember what she died of. I think it was measles, but it was some common disease that uh, didn't happen in Native America. So so she had no immunities. Right. And so that's that's who uh, Pocahontas ended up marrying and she became Lady um, Lady Rolf. Rolf. So, (laughs) yeah, the, the fictional and the true stories of Jamestown are not always the same and you can't believe everything you read. Pocahontas wasn't dancing in a waterfall telling John Smith how, uh, his Christianity was not right, that the nature religion was it was the way to go. It was it didn't happen that way. Pocahontas did convert to Christianity, as a matter of fact. Basically, you can't trust Disney's version of anything. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I remember how upset I was when I found out that Disney ignored the jungle book when they made the Mo- the Mowgli movies. Oh, I know. And it was very obvious to me because I had read the Jungle Book before I watched the Disney version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. We need to get back to talking about your story and not about all the lies that people tell. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. So if you can, in two or three sentences each, <laughs> tell us about some of your previous books. Oh, wow. There are quite a few now. So (laughs) it'll have to be only a couple of sentences. Well, Alice's Notions was one of my novels. It's a standalone novel, and it's in a sleepy town of West Virginia right after World War II. I mean, 1946, this war widow goes there to open a sewing shop. And she finds out that there are spies in in the sleepy town of West Virginia, because believe it or not, West Virginia was close to a bunch of different top secret installations during World War II. And she doesn't know who she can trust and who's a Russian spy. There's a lot of uh, secretive stuff. It kind of reminds me of the old movies like Charade. It's, it was really a fun book to write. And then uh, 
Of course, there are others. Uh, Resurrection of Hope is a novella that's set in rural Ohio right after World War I. And Vivian, her family is wiped out during the flu epidemic and her fiance dies in the war, Great War and she's left destitute. And Henry, her fiance's best friend, comes to the rescue and does an arranged marriage to uh, help her out. What she doesn't know is he's in love with her <laughs> and always has been. I wrote a series called the Ladies of Oberlin series, uh, book one was Red Sky Over America. Oberlin was the only call, one of the only two colleges in the United States that allowed blacks and women to get college degrees along with men in the same classes before the Civil War. So it it was, it's a real college. And she was one of the women attending the college, the fictional America. She is an abolitionist studying to be a missionary, but her father in Kentucky owns slaves. And she decides if she's going to preach to heathens in China, she needs to first have the courage to confront her father with about his slaves. Well, as you can imagine, that doesn't go over well. <laughs> Book two is about the second roommate, Lavina. She's graduated at this point, become a journalist. And she convinces her newspaper to give her the job of a war correspondent. But they give her one condition. She has to interview this captain that that uh, did a heroic deed. Problem is, he will not talk about it at all. And so spark kind of fly in that novel, too. I have a side story to Lost in the Storm, a couple of side stories. Soldier's Heart is about a mi very minor character in Lost in the Storm who came home from the war to his very young wife, but he has PTSD, which they called Soldier's Heart back then. That's also a novella. And then another side story is my Western, and I love it. It's called Forks in the Road, and it's about two brothers. They're older brother is a chaplain that was in lost in the storm but they grow up as orphans because quantrell's raiders killed their family and they end up out west and there's nobody to help them and they end up becoming making wrong choices every step of the way and becoming outlaws but their brother who is home from the war jed and god keep chasing them down. So it's a story of redemption in the Old West. Well, why don't you tell us about the third book that you've got waiting to be finished? Oh, yes. Uh, the Aftermath. It's about the third roommate in the Ladies of Oberlin series. She got married right out of college to Nate. Nate was in Lost in the Storm. He In the Lost in the Storm novel, he lost his leg in the war. So now the war's over. They're back home. He has a wooden peg for a leg, and he is a changed man. He has become an alcoholic, and Betsy is determined to save her marriage and save her husband, even if it means taking an axe to uh, the sal local saloon. And she, lots of antics about her protesting alcohol and, and getting all the other women in town to join her and it's a fun story, but I'm not quite done with that one yet. 
The Oberlin books sound fascinating, but I want to know more about the seasoning of Elizabeth. Um, does this have any events or people that mirror real life, specifically your life? If this gets too personal, or if you think someone could be offended or hurt, or this puts you in a difficult situation, feel free to ignore my question. <laughs> well, I can answer your questions to some extent. Um, there are, is a lot of uh, backstory of characters who have gone through tremendous emotional turmoil and there's stories of people dying in Jamestown. And of course, those do mirror the actual colonists who settled in Jamestown. Uh, believe it or not, less than a quarter of the people that settled in Jamestown survived the first 20 years for a wow. number of reasons. It's it, Half of them didn't survive the first year because they went through something called the seasoning and the seasoning is a time, what they called the time where they acclimated to the new environment and the new germs and the new water supply and all of that stuff. And about half of the people died the first year during the seasoning. And that included newborn children, not just new arrivals. And so it was a very traumatic thing. And so it does mirror my life and other people's lives that have gone through traumatic experiences and find their healing through God. And so I'm not going to be, be too specific. I'm sure your readers don't want to hear about every traumatic thing that happened in my past, but <laughs> basically it gives hope to people who have gone through different traumas that God has the healing bomb to help them through it. I love that. Thank you. So counting, you know, all the gaps where you, you put the book down and you were working on other projects and gee, starting a publishing company, <laughs> how long did it take? How long do you think it took to write this particular book? Well, the first draft, it took about 10 months, but as Michelle says, I was starting a publishing company. I was finishing Lost in the Storm. I did some children's church curriculum during that time. And there were a lot of other things going on. In fact, my mom had uh, some medical problems. So I was taking care of her. So it's been about three or four years before I've polished it up and got it ready for publication. It's been like three or four years since I started the book. So <laughs> a long journey, but the first draft only took about 10 months. It can take a very long time to complete a book. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's so, been a fun journey listening to Tamara talking about, oh, I just learned this and, you know, I'm going to change this. And I don't think this works anymore. And <laughs> well, it's been was, fun listening to the, the changes. There was so much research. And what's interesting is a lot of stuff about Jamestown people don't know yet. They don't know right. exactly what happened yet it's conjecture. So I was able in those instances to make up what happened, <laughs> but that where, where it can be found out what happened, I was accurate. That's the good thing about fiction. Yes. <laughs> we can fill in the gaps. That's for sure. Yes. Well, while you were writing your story, um, I'd like to know what you learned along the way, maybe spiritually or in terms of craft. Well, I'll tell you, I learned a lot 
kind of spiritually and involved in the craft when I was in the process of writing this novel because I was in a James Rubart workshop and I love James Rubart's novels, Mm -hmm. but uh, I was in his workshop and he was doing brainstorming and he picked the seasoning of Elizabeth to brainstorm. And I thought, Oh, well, what fun. We'll brainstorm what the characters do and everything. No, 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 no. He wanted me to bleed in front of everybody. He wanted me to tell my stories about how I relate to the characters and how I, you know, like, for instance, the healing through scripture, how that related to me healing in certain circumstances through scripture and all of this stuff. And he said, that's what you need to put on the page. You need to bleed your own experiences and your own trauma and your own healing on the page. And that kind of revolutionized the story. I was able to um, put my experiences on the page, although they weren't really my experiences, but the same healing power of God, I was able to do that. So, and that's really interesting that now we have mental health counselors and people can go and talk to people or life coaches. People can go and talk to people when they're going through different experiences that are licensed and trained. And back then they didn't have anyone back then. Uh, they needed to rely more on scripture, on the healing power of God to get them through. And the funny thing is, my daughter is a Christian mental health counselor. And a lot of what she does, she says, you know, it's scriptural. There, This is a scriptural way to heal a lot of what we do. We just guide people through it. That's fantastic. That's, I love how he had you do that. Because I think that could apply to any of us as writers that are listening out there. Because we do, if we relate to the character, we certainly can pour in more life to them and what's going on. And I love that you're talking about the healing power of God through scripture. I think that is one of the most important things, one of the most important tools that we have as Christians is to be able to go to God and and to read the beautiful book that he's given us. I love that. Thank you. Absolutely. Now I'm I'm going to be asking you about roadblocks you ran into along the way. And I feel like I'm kind of cheating or I might be skipping over things because I've I've been here, you know, listening to you talking about the development of the book from the from the moment it was just an idea. I think maybe you came up with the idea when we were driving back and forth to our ACFW meetings in Columbus. Yes, years ago. So, you know, I, I, I've kind of got the back, the backside story, the backstage stuff, but is there anything notable that you want to talk about dealing with roadblocks along the way, problems you ran into, physical challenges, um, maybe other writers who were maybe giving you a hard time or maybe even spiritual attacks? And you had mentioned, you know, your mom, all your mom's health problems that really took up so much of your time and your energy and, and just got in the way along with moving to Tennessee, building a new house, starting a business, you know, the usual stuff everybody deals with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you've just mentioned a lot of the stuff. (laughs) Well, give us some details. (laughs) I'll elaborate. Um, 
in 2018, uh, I moved to Tennessee around the same time that we built a house. I lived in Ohio originally where Michelle is, and I moved to Tennessee. Before I moved, my mom decided to have back surgery, and it was the back surgery that went wrong. She almost died on the table. She was in ICU. I went up to ICU, and they told me they didn't expect her to live through the night. And I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And I and he told me to pray. So I laid my hands on her head and I prayed. They couldn't get her awake before this. They were pounding on her chest and she wouldn't wake up. And so I laid my hands on her head and prayed. And she immediately opened her eyes and started crying. Wow. I was in the ICU quite a bit, and then that was a month and a half, and then she went to the step down, and then she went to the nursing home, and all this was going on while I was moving. While I was moving, my daughter also had her first child, a son who is now four years old and adorable, uh, the big brother of uh, the twins that were born, and another boy. So there's four in their family now. <laughs> Then there was moving in itself, and I we built a house up on a small mountain in Tennessee, and uh, all the building and moving, that was crazy. Then I got to uh, Tennessee, and I was sitting there explaining to my, in an email to my publisher at the time, why I was going to be late with Lost in the Storm. And she wrote us back saying that the publishing company was closing down and she was removing all the books from the shelves. <laughs> and so that's when Michelle and I started a company. And uh, I tried to get it done in time for the ACFW, the seasoning of Lisbella done for the ACFW uh, conference in September. It didn't happen, although I did talk to a few people and uh I knew Lost in the Storm wasn't going to uh, be published by another publisher because it was the second book in the series. And, but since we started a publishing company, that wasn't a problem. We were able to get it out. <laughs> so, so convenient. I mean, what a coincidence. <laughs> yes. And so a number of books that were published under other publishers, because I was traditionally published, not just with our publishing company, but with another publisher, a couple of publishers. So they were reworked and, and re-released through Mount Zion Ridge Press the first year we were in operation. Let's just say between my mom's health problems and she's doing much better, but she still has a few challenges and my family joys that are quite exhausting <laughs> and my company and the curriculum that we wrote, I wrote and everything. It's just been a whirlwind this last four years. It's just been such a crazy, chaotic, hectic, and joyful time of my life that that did put roadblocks in me writing but I finally got to the point where I just life happens and I'm not going to stress about it I'll get it written eventually when I get it written I'll just work on what I can do when I can do it that's a great way to look at it I kind of feel that way myself because I don't think God wants us to stress over it he wants us to enjoy the gifts that he's given us and and it's great that you can give back through those gifts. 
So speaking of books, which we have been the whole podcast, uh, what is your favorite novel or book written by another author? Well, you know, I really can't choose just one because usually the book I'm reading at the moment is my favorite. <laughs> I can relate but, to that. <laughs> but that aside, some of the ones I've read in the past that have stuck with me, Redeeming Love and the Mark of the Lion series by Francine Rivers, I think are my absolute favorites throughout the years. I've I've loved them. Mm -hmm. I'm also a huge fan of Stephen James novels, which it's funny because Redeeming Love and Mark of the Lions series are a romantic, historical romance. And then Stephen James writes, of course, nail-biting suspense. <laughs> <laughs> it's and good to be well-rounded. And then when it comes to speculative novels, I love James Rubart. I just yes. adore him. I also love a lot of mysteries and other mm -hmm. suspense novelists, but those are my favorites. Lately, I've been reading the Circle Trilogy by Ted Decker, and I'll, and I love it. Of that hasn't reached the level of Stephen James or James Rubart yet, but I've really been enjoying those novels. I'm sort of eclectic when it comes to books. I I'm all over the place, which is probably a good thing since I'm a publisher. That, yes, who that wants to publish a lot of different genres, not just romance or historical or whatever. Yes, that is great. That's good. Okay, we're going to have to stop for now. End of part one of our interview with Tamara Craft about the seasoning of the Elizabella. Now, this is important. Listen carefully. To save a dollar off the price of the print book or ebook at the Mount Zion Ridge Press site, go to www.mtzionridgepress.com. And when you place your order, use the code JAMESTOWN, all capital letters, and that will give you a dollar off. The code is good through New Year's Eve. December 31st, you can save $1 off of a copy of either the print or ebook of The Seasoning of Elizabella. Take one. Okay, join us for part two <laughs> in one week, where we continue talking with Tamara. Lots of background, uh, backstage information, and a lot of fun chatting. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Books on the Ridge, a production of Mount Zion Ridge Press, home of Books Off the Beaten Path. Check our website, www.mountzionridgepress.com, for more information. Please consider subscribing to support this podcast, plus receive regular updates and more discounts as our way of saying thanks. Please come back next week for the second part of our chat. Thanks for listening. We hope you had a good time. We certainly did.